0: And this is yeah. Creator Culture uh, by hashtag paid. Hey, I'm Danny Desatnik, and this is a conversation with an underrated creator. Today's guest belongs on SNL. He's a comedian, a creator, and a writer. And what I love most about his work is how he bridges business news with comedy that helps the average person understand the state of the world. Today's guest is probably most well known for his role in Morning Brew's short form videos. I bet you've received a good belly laugh from him after watching one of his videos on your For You page. Recently, he started working on a long form project called Good Work, which is doing numbers. This creator is very underrated and I'm so lucky that I had a chance to talk with him for 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm really excited for you to hear the conversation. But before we get there, I want to talk about the Creator Science Fair. Now, you might have heard about this before if you've listened to some past episodes, but we are bringing our signature event, Meet the Creators, to New York in the second or third week of September, still to be confirmed. But one of the things we really wanna do this time is create something called a Creator Science Fair. Actually, it'll probably be called something a little bit more interesting than Creator Science Fair, but for now, that's the word we're rocking with. And what we wanna do is, because there's gonna be 75 incredible brand marketers from some of the biggest brands in New York, we want to create a section where creators can show off their craft in real time to those marketers. So, Think of it as if you're a graphic designer and you can show your process, or you're an editor, show your incredible Photoshop skills on a photo that you've taken, or it could be someone a stop motion animator, or it could be someone who's a fashion designer, whatever it may be, something that can showcase your craft as a creator in front of these marketers. So all I'm asking is if you are a creator who one identifies as being a creator and two has a skill that can be done in front over let's call it a three four hour time period and you want to potentially be a part of this hit me up at d-a-t-k-e-d either on twitter or instagram and let me know who you are what you get up to and we can talk and maybe we can get you to be a part of the creator science fair but now that's over let's get to the good stuff here's my conversation with dan toomey Tell me this. You live on this line of like comedy and news or business news right now,
1: for the most part, when you're at Morning Brew. Why is it that comedy and business news go so well together when creating content?
2: Ooh, I'd say traditionally they haven't. There's a few reasons why I think they go well together now. One of which is because we've had years of news comedy content, but it's mostly been focused on political news ever since. Like. Political news and humor have always gone hand in hand. I think really it became like a mass media thing with The Daily Show. And that's really what took off. But like we've always had political cartoons and like satirical magazines making fun of the news. But again, it tends to lean on politics because I think oftentimes politicians tend to Draw a lot of attention to themselves, and also more people are in the know with political news because they feel like it affects their daily lives more. Whereas business is a very specific industry, but that kind of changed with the pandemic and the rise of day trading with GameStop, and we all know that story. And that's where I think a lot of people started to get really keyed into business news in a much more accessible way than the 08 financial crisis was, something that impacted everyone, but it was still a little wonky. Not everybody really got it as it was happening, whereas, like, day trading, I don't know if everybody really understood what was happening with day trading, but they knew that they had access to it. And so it felt much more personal. Like, anybody who you would talk to had somebody that was yeeting whatever, like, GameStop, like, yeeting GameStop stock in their bedroom. So I think because of that, it opened itself up to the dialogue more, and it's also just absurd in general, so... That really opened up an avenue for like something for comedy to really connect with business news. And that's where I came in. I joined Morning Brew early after that, right on the heels of the GameStop mania is when I joined Morning
1: Brew. So let's say back in 2008, you're in the same position you're in today. Would you take the same approach to creating your hilarious video, like the videos that you create for Morning Brew? Yeah. For everything that happens today, would you take the same approach? in 2008 because you said it felt like it wasn't as people didn't really understand it at the time compared to the stuff that's happened
2: yeah i think i would i'd probably handle it a little bit more delicately since gamestop was like ah these crazy people are like losing money and it was just insane i also think the internet desensitizes people a little bit to certain news stories and so it was like we could make fun of it at that time because it was happening in real time too and it's like twitter and so forth whereas like people were really losing jobs and 2008 felt a lot more like sensitive and raw for people. And I also talk like I wasn't 10 when that was happening. But in terms of how we would handle the story, I would still, I guess, do a similar process to what I do now at Morning Brew. I maybe wouldn't like poke as much fun at the situation. Like, for example, the closest thing I could probably draw a parallel to would be like the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, right? That was a pretty wonky story. We did a video on it the day that it happened but it felt like we could poke a little bit more fun at it because it was a lot of... The whole story was basically the poor decisions that were made by a bank led to this whole collapse and so you could make fun of the bank a little bit. And also at the same time, the people who were affected by it at that moment of that day were a more isolated group of investors in SVB stock. So it wasn't like the general American public were all like losing their houses at the same moment. It'd be bad if like, in that moment, we we're like, <laughs> look at this. So I guess I would have taken a similar approach, but not as like leaning into the comedy of it, if that makes sense.
1: It feels like what you're saying is it feels like there's more absurdist stories for some reason in the news right now. Do you think that's because or if you agree, do you think that's because of the Internet or are there other things that you see that are, that might actually lead to this consistent um, wheel of content that, that you can play off of?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there have always been crazy things happen. I mean, look at like the stock market in the 80s, right? Every joke that we make about like a pinstriped, slick back hair, Wall Street dude snorting cocaine off of like his trading desk. Like that all comes from that culture, right? So it's not like there wasn't wild stuff happening back in the day. I think it's just more projected now because of the internet. We can, again, when SVB fell, we made a video in like four hours after it happened that speed wasn't as possible back then i'm sure that there have always been crazy business stories we just hear about them more often now and we hear about them quicker which i think when you hear about deaths happening you think you hear about a death on the news and so you think that there are more deaths happening than ever whereas you thought back to medieval england people were getting killed like every second we didn't hear about every single death
1: yeah no i definitely hear what you're saying i think it it is interesting how you're able to weave the line between like comedy and business to the thing that i was super interested about is here's morning brew and you guys are either you guys are like taking this comedic angle on this mass amount of news that is affecting a bunch of people probably to an emotional level but you guys it seems like you do it so tastefully like how do you decide what you're going to make fun of essentially and what you're going to leave behind
2: we try our hardest not to punch down at people like that's the biggest thing you don't really let's say part of what really helps my job is that the people who I tend to like lean into more for comedy. It's like Elon Musk or like these uber powerful mega people where it's like, look, if one TikToker is making fun of them, that's not gonna like send their net worth crashing, <laughs> you know? So that kind of is what our thought process is with a lot of these. It's like, all right, make sure we're always punching up at people or people who are like truly need to be held to account as such a bad way of saying it. Cause that's like not what we're doing. I'm not like, I'm not, bringing down the powerful but it's like you know if we wanted to make fun of sbf uh, sam bankman freed he was getting arrested i think the day that we made a video about it but he also lost a ton of money for people so i guess that's punching down because he's going to jail but at the same time like the dude just lost billions and billions of dollars for yeah. other people's money. so we felt fine doing that
1: <laughs> you've been at boarding bro for it's like a year and a half two years
2: it was a little bit over two years now yeah
1: If you go back to when you started there and with everything you know about the content you like, the content that works, would you have taken the same approach that you did when you started to video with them?
2: Yeah, I would have because I messed up a ton when I first joined. Dude, I took so many L's because I didn't have a following at all. I was really just this random dude who came out of nowhere and started making videos for Morning Brew when they didn't really make videos beforehand. And I still feel like just like that random dude, but I spent five to six months just like cranking up videos Monday through Friday, like a video every weekday that did not do well at all. And, but I learned a lot through that process. And I just, there's no way that I could like make some of the things that I make now without having gone through that. I really liken it to I do stand up in New York now. I'm not the best stand up that's out there, but I'm getting better, I hope. It's fun too. So I like it. And, but a lot of the times if I go to an open mic, I'm bombing an open mic because I'm testing out new jokes to see if they work or not. When I started at Morning Brew, it's like a very similar thing where you're just testing and getting better and testing. In comedy, it's just telling a joke that's not funny and then being like, all right, moving on to the next one. But I don't have, when you're uploading videos to people, you're just doing it for this wide internet audience, which for Morning Brew is a pretty sizable audience. Instead of like, Whereas in an open mic, I would be in front of five or six people at a bar at like 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. And when you bomb in that condition, you're like, all right, whatever. Like these seven people are going to get over that. But then if you upload a video and it bombs, you're like, oh, man, like 50,000 people saw that. (laughs) So but again, like you kind of have to go through that process to get better at it. I would have liked to have a better perspective probably when I started. But I don't think I would have changed anything.
1: How long is too long to test i totally and i think it's an interesting perspective you bring of now like i recognize that i just had sandbox to play around until i found my sauce and then we were rolling but yeah do you have a threshold of what would be too long like i've been trying this for 15 years and it's still not hitting
2: i don't know yeah maybe after 15 years but no i mean there are always stories of actors never give up on your dreams never give up on your dream but in terms of like making videos specifically I don't know if there's like a limit to how much you should test, but if you're doing the same thing and it hasn't worked after like five or six tries and you're not getting any positive feedback from people that you show it to that are like your friends, for example, because there are some videos that people will show me that like artistically are fantastic and amazing, but they don't lean into the algorithm side of the content as much. But I wouldn't ever tell them to stop making those because, like, I find them very impressive. There are just certain things that commercially do better on social media. But if they're artistically fulfilling and you find merit in doing them and then maybe in the future, if there was ever anybody who wanted to see that, maybe like a manager or something, then you should absolutely keep making it. But, like, everybody in the world is telling you that it's bad and you don't even like making it either. That's the big thing. If you don't like making it and you're making it to try and gain traction then stop. But if you like it, man, like, and if it's not a detriment to you or the people around you, then I would never say stop.
1: Yeah. You talk about the people around you. Who are those core people around you that you rely on, either as collaborators or like sources of truth when you're coming up with ideas or playing out videos? Yeah, so my first one is Jesus
2: Christ. My second one is ketamine. My third one is the... Who do I usually rely on? I think of it as like different pockets almost because I make videos For Morning Brew, I make videos for myself. I really want to get better at script writing. I I love writing scripts and I want to get better at it. And I also do like short humor writing and then I do stand up, right? So each of those are like different communities. And so like I know people who are short humor writers and if I'm writing something for like a website like McSweeney's or Points and Case, then I will get their feedback on it because that's what they, for videos, I have like a group chat of just like video creators and we'll just like send stuff to each other. Give each other notes, stand up, friends with a lot of other really great stand ups in the city who are much better than I am. And like we all see each other's sets, give each other notes on that. And same thing with scripts. So it's like a bunch of different pockets of like artist and creator that I try to work with depending on the project that I'm working on.
1: How do you go about becoming a better script writer?
2: That's a good question. I'm figuring that out right now. (laughs) If you know a guy who can help me figure that out, that would be great. I am in no position to say like what will make you a better screenwriter because I'm trying to get better in the process as well. What has helped me though, so far has been setting a really harsh deadline for myself and just writing it in time, knowing when you have an idea that you're excited about, not necessarily an idea that you think is good, but in an idea that you're excited to write, because that's going to make the process a lot more fun. And then also I've like taken a screenwriting class and those have actually been very helpful not just from like a deadline perspective, but also just like getting someone else to assist you through that process. Those have all really helped me so far. If I ever end up writing a good script, I'll come back on the podcast and give you an actual answer. But that's what I cool. have so far.
1: We'll talk about script writing and Dre and Tyler the Creator. It'll be a great second pod. You talk about how as a script writer, knowing what is good versus knowing what excites you. But then you also spoke about constraints. You know, like don't give yourself time where you don't you have to deliver you start yep. at morning brew where you're just filming videos in your room and you said you're posting a video a day what does constraints do for you in that time period
2: it just makes you better man you become okay with taking l's and you become numb to that process it's literally the same exact thing as stand-up like people always say to be a better stand-up you need to go to mike's get up on stage as much as possible if you want to get better at videos, you just make a lot of videos and then you find out what works gradually and then you stick to that and learn from that and then also learn from the losses. So the impulse to make videos, the impulse to do comedy is something that like just comes naturally in someone like you just kind of wanted. There's never like a parent yelling at a kid to be like, if you don't become you need to become a stand up comedian and like nobody's ever saying that it's something that you want to do. So that's the impulse. right? And then. You need to have discipline to really like see that through. Like, excitement, that'll bring you to the point of trying it. But when it doesn't work out, that can feel really bad because, like, this voice inside of you, it feels like it was wrong. But you kind of have to like tell yourself, like, nope, it was right. Eventually, it will be right. And the way that you can get to that point is just by setting a bunch of deadlines for yourself, being okay with putting out a few bad videos and then just doing it all again.
1: It's interesting and- how. what pops into my mind is that quote, like, it takes four years to become an overnight success.
2: Yeah, I'm really leaning into the glamorous life of a creator right now. I'm like, you get embarrassed all the time. (laughs) And I'm currently talking to you in a gray box. This is really what the height of luxury looks like, Danny.
1: It's constraints, man. You're constraining yourself for this interview. So you, like, work on your interview skills. I like it.
2: Yeah, bro. If you want to become the next hottest creator, bro, what you gotta do? You gotta lock yourself in a box, dog. I've been in this cryo chamber for four days, dog. I ain't seen my family. That's what you gotta do to be a top creator in Brooklyn, man. It's so much fun.
1: <laughs> when you're hanging out with your friends, how often do you go into I call it schizo mode? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> like you're not schizo, but you might seem schizo because you're like playing a skate, you're doing a bit. Ba- with your friends? Or like doing bits? I don't know.
2: If I'm like with my comedy friends, everybody's doing bits all the time always, which is fun. If I'm with my like regular friends, a lot of the times I'll just be like, hey, you need to shut up. Like just stop talking. I'm being, okay. And then if I'm with my family, I don't get to talk ever. So I am silent. <laughs> I'm the youngest. So I don't get a lot of speaking time.
1: Got you were silenced when you were younger, but here comes the day to just coming fresh out of the gate, hot every day,
2: That's why I'm broken as a person. That's why I crave attention because I never got it growing up. So that's why I am the way I am.
1: A question just popped into my head. As someone who is naturally funny, identifies as a comedian, it goes into skip mode, does bits quite often. What's it like dating? And like trying to restrict yourself from bits to kind of gauge like, can we go far or can I? should I pull back? Should I be vulnerable Uh and just show them or not? How do you go about that?
2: To give an opinion on dating, I would have to be doing that, Danny. But the boy here is currently not doing that. I don't know. I mean, like I will say a lot of, I don't prescribe to this, but just like hearing a lot of comedians talk about how it's kind of like, how you shouldn't date stand-up comedians just because, like, a lot of the times they're busy during nights and, like, their schedule's just, like, totally different than what n- a normal, healthy person's schedule is. <laughs> but, like, I will say there have been points. The weirdest thing is to tell people, they'll be like, oh, I'll be like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm in medicine or I'm an engineer. And you're like, God, no, I gotta say what. Oh, and they're like, what do you do? And you're like, I make, tick tock <laughs> we are like oh is this illegal for me to be on a date right now with you it's like i didn't realize i was dating an infant so that's been a funny moment a few times like on dates where you just like i gotta tell them at some point i just gotta let him know and then you're just like how do you explain that man like how do you so it's very That's very strange. But, you know, I do it to myself.
1: To talk to you about, I'll leave it there so we don't have to embarrass (laughs) you any further because the truth... Honestly, it's like, oh, I could tell you about like the
2: two dates I've been on since I moved to New York. And then that you're not going to get like anything out of that because it's just like two, like five minute (laughs) conversation.
1: Fair play. Well, we're talking, I don't know how we got here, but we're talking a little bit about identity. And I think the interesting thing with your career so far is that Your identity has been built alongside of a brand, but then you also have who you are outside of it as well. I'd say like a lot of the stuff you do reaches through Morning Brew. Mm -hmm. How do you think about balancing those two as someone that wants to go on and continue being Dan Toomey, Dan Toomey's production or late night show or whatever it may be or script writing show compared to being tied to Morning Brew?
2: Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. I actually made a very deliberate decision with that. When I started at Morning Brew, like again, I had no following. I got taken off of like a blind audition. And so when I joined, I like again, had like no followers. I was not active on social media at all. And I felt very lucky and I was like, oh, I better not mess this up. Like I better do good at this job. So when I joined, I was like, all right, the long game of this is that I'll eventually like have a career for myself. And it's not just like purely for Morning Brew because Morning Brew wouldn't want that either. The more that I grow my platform, the better for them as well, right? Because like in my bio, it says Morning Brew and that's great. But when I joined, I was like, all right, I'm going to just focus on this. job, Just focus on Morning Brew, not even post on my own personal stuff. Until Morning Brew's, like, following is, like, good enough to a point where we start bringing on other people. And I feel comfortable making my own stuff. And at the time I was living with my parents, I wanted to spend time with them. So I was like, I'm not even going to make my own personal videos. And then eventually, like, we were fortunate enough where Morning Brew got a pretty big TikTok, like, a pretty, like, solid TikTok following. I moved to New York. I had more free time on my hands. I was by myself. And then I was like, okay, this is when I can really start leaning into making my own work and focusing on like my own stuff. And now at Morning Brew, I have my own franchise within it. It's called Good Work, which is the YouTube channel. And so that was all like part of the long game of it. But the first priority was just like making sure that my job was settled. (laughs) And then eventually I could focus on my own stuff. But that was the thought process behind it.
1: How do you navigate being a creator where I'm sure you have ideas popping up? all the time but you say to yourself no i'm just going to focus on getting good at this one job and making sure that this one once this dropped as well that's the unlock and then i can do more things but meanwhile like your brain stays the same who you are your creativity stays the same how do you make sure that like that doesn't impede on wanting to then take away from that initial goal of building as more for the time being
2: it was genuinely just like the fear of i'm gonna be out of this job and i left a pretty like stable job in to just randomly yeet off and do comedy at this media company. So I was like, hey, man, if I don't make it at this, that's a big explanation I got to give at my job at, I don't know, somewhere else. So it's really just once you get to this point, you'll be fine and you can do whatever. But you just need to get there first. So it's really just like many decisions in life, driven by pure anxiety, Danny. Driven by pure, raw anxiety.
1: But now we're here, so we're good. Is there merit in doing things that are driven by fear from a creative perspective?
2: There's definitely merit because it's productive, but that's not always healthy. (laughs) Being like productive isn't always the best thing in life, but it definitely helps like in the beginning. But I think there is a misunderstanding of it. Sometimes people will say that it's best to be like afraid, and you should always produce based off of fear, and like that will drive you. But I think. It's more fun, and I think people enjoy the work more when you're more confident that it will do well rather than scared that it won't. I've always found that the best videos that I've made, the best jokes to tell are the ones that I'm like, oh, I really want to tell this, or I really want to, I can't wait to finish this, rather than like, I need to upload something today so I can build a following. Those videos never end up doing well. The ones that do are the ones that I'm like, I can't, like this was in my head, and I got to make it, And once I do, I'm so excited for people to see it. And that is like approaching creation from like a point of like confidence more so because you're like, "Ah, this is good. This is a good one. Rather than being like, all right, here's a video because people can kind of see through that. And it's also just more fun see, I guess. Yeah, so that's kind of my take on it.
1: What's been the video outside of good work for now, but with Morning Brew that you've been most proud of creating?
2: Man, I'm going to say two. We did one on LinkedIn, a YouTube video that has like over like 750,000 views on YouTube and it's long form, which is great. And for a while, we were really struggling to find our voice for like a long form YouTube video and like building off a YouTube channel. But this idea for case studies, which is the format that we call those videos, just like an idea that I had where I was like, I think this might work. I have no idea, but we're going to try this thing. And it's not really like something a media company does that much, but we're gonna try and we're gonna see if it works. And randomly it did. So that felt really good. And then besides that, for like social videos, I'm really proud of the Silicon Valley bank video that we did because it was breaking news. It was that day. I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but I worked with other people on the team to like research. And then I wrote the script. It was like a marathon of like 10 straight hours just focusing on this video. And then at 7 p.m. on a Friday, we put it out, which is like the worst time to upload anything. But the news was so big at the time that it blew up. And then we did like a series of bank videos after that. And that was another one of those videos where as soon as I like put it out, I was like, okay, I feel good. I feel good about this one. And I'm excited for people to see it. Those two, I would say, are the ones I'm most proud of.
1: I will see the fact that you're dealing with news. And to your point, once it gets picked up, you're probably dealing with really big topics where a lot of people have interest and a lot of people are trying to learn. So they're using different sources to learn. Yeah. Is it a drug to be like, oh, big news just dropped. Let me see if I can be the first one to put out the first banger video that like educates everyone on everything?
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. It's definitely anybody who's like worked in like a newsroom and is really passionate about working in a newsroom. That's where I worked before Morning Brew is like a series of newsrooms. You get that journalistic-y, like, we gotta be, that's why I'm addicted to Twitter, because I'm like, oh, I gotta know what's going on, even though I really don't. I'm like, not even business news I'm always keying in on just because you have that, I don't know, rat brain telling you you need to be there. And I think when it's a really big news story, specifically for Morning Brew, it's like, oh, this is us. Like, this is what people come to us for, so we better be there for it. And it's nice to be that source of information for people, or information to be like people looking looking forward to seeing what you're gonna do. But it can definitely be stressful sometimes. But the reward is always there at the end, which I think brings you back to this like masochistic cycle of I
1: gotta do it again.
2: I gotta be there. So <laughs>
1: it's totally there. Walk me through you talk about the SVB video being your favorite for a couple of reasons. But like walk me through that day. You get into work, you see this like news drops. How do you approach it? I know you said you worked with a bunch of people, but Give me that mindset that you were going through.
2: So if I can remember correctly, what happened was we, it was like that morning. I was like, I don't want to make a video today. It was a Friday and I had like plans to go out later. And so I was like, I
0: don't,
2: I really like the video. And then all of a sudden this like bank that I, I had not heard of leading up to that week during the whole week, it was like trickling and teetering and you didn't really know. And we were talking about, should we cover this? Should we not cover it? And then on Friday, it just went boom. So we were like, oh, we got to get on this. And so I was like, all right, let's get it. I just started reading a ton about it. And it was this was at like 10 a.m., which is pretty late for us to start making a video on something. Usually by 10, I'm like done the script or I already know what I'm talking about. But by 10, I was like reading and researching stuff. And so I was like, this is going to be a late night. And then by like 1 p.m., which again is super late for us, I finished a script for it, which was I read a bunch about the story. I felt like I had the six most important bullet points that were needed for people to get what was going on. Cross-referenced it with like our managing editor Neil and our fact checker Holly, who said, like, yep, that all looks good. Wrote the script in like probably like an hour and a half, two hours, maybe. And then I sent it to our fact checker again to make sure that there wasn't anything wrong. She said it was good to go. And then I filmed it, just kind of like looking at the script. I don't really write out, I don't really like storyboard anything. You just look at it and you're like, this is what it's gonna be. I filmed it probably another two hours, started editing it at like 4 p.m. And it took me probably another hour, two hours to edit the whole thing. And we put it out at around like 7. So yeah, that was like the whole day pretty much. And the scripting process was literally just like, we look at the six bullet points of the news story and I'm like, all right, how can we make this like interesting or like what's going on here? The way that I've kind of explained it to people and so this is like so beyond the question that you asked. No, I
1: think you're... Either you had all the questions for the interview somehow, or you're like a couple minutes ahead of me in the future because I was about to say, all right, walk me through, like, how do you pick up your script? So keep doing you.
2: The way that, like, I try to do it is, and it doesn't always work, but I'll look at a news story and I'll try to see it like an improv scene where I'm like, all right, these are like the characters who are going to be on stage with each other. And if you put them all in like a room, which is often my apartment, what what are they going to do? How are they going to interact with each other? So for SVB, it was like, all right, well, that's going to be a character. Silicon Valley Bank, there are these other really big banks who aren't in California. They're going to be another character, but they're probably not going to be with Silicon Valley Bank. So they're going to be living in this like fireplace room. So maybe that'll be my bedroom and California will be my living room. And then there's going to be like investors and an entrepreneur who's going to pop up out of nowhere and then you just kind of like see how they all interact with each other chronologically and then that's it like i wish that there was more to it than that and a lot of it comes through like the making of the video and just see how it all falls together into one story and making sure that you're like following the, the bullet points that you wrote earlier but yeah that's like a super vague way but it kind of is what it feels like you just kind of see it fall together
1: almost that's so wild. Yeah, I was going to say it's hilarious. Like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like that corner of the room reflected this character. <laughs> yeah. And then I knew where Here. they were. And I was like, Jesus, I don't like that. I look at my corner. I'm like, I just haven't <laughs> been there in 30 minutes. That's the only thought that goes <laughs> through my mind.
2: Bro, I think I've made well over like 300 videos now for Morning Brew. So like it becomes a muscle. Definitely. Whatever muscle people have for like talking and getting along with others. I've replaced that with just knowing how to turn my room into a bank. But with like that video... It's literally just like I'm looking around. And I'm just like, all right, this can be California. Grab like a piece of paper, write California on it, paste it on a door. And then I'm like, I need a fireplace. Go to my laptop, pull up a fireplace on my computer. And then I film myself sitting in front of that. And it's like, that seems believable. So that's kind of it.
1: That's so interesting. Have you ever thought of putting cameras in the room and doing like a behind the scenes, like the making of and then whichever video turns out to be a banger?
2: Yeah, some people have said like, oh, you should totally do that. Most of the time I'm making a video and I don't even know what it's going to be like. And I don't really think I want people seeing that process because it's a lot of just like, sure, and then just kind of being like, all right, this will work. And this will, it's really, I don't want people seeing me looking like an insane human. So I don't, so I don't film the process. So like, I want to keep whatever semblance of normalcy I have.
1: Okay, so that leads to something that I was having this conversation with a friend a week or so ago. So we were talking about the value of ideas and it's the people that can actually come up with amazing ideas really do hold a shit out of value, regardless of if you can act on them and you can build and you can execute or if you can just come up with them. But I hear you talk about how with BTS, you're like, I don't really want to showcase everything that comes out of it. Like I'm just down, down for the finished product. Should yeah. all ideas be published into the world?
2: Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. I feel like it depends on, well, No. I think Kanye West is proof that you shouldn't publish every idea that you have pop into your head into the world. Maybe sometimes you should just kind of keep it inside. But in terms of, like, creativity, I guess, it depends on how you like to work, I think. So, for example, in comedy, like, some of the best jokes come from just, like, riffing with other people and being funny. Because it's really hard to tell what will make people laugh when it's just all in your head and you're not like watching them laugh in the room so like that's why we have writers rooms that's why a lot of comedians hang out with each other because Mm -hmm. we each other laugh naturally and like find jokes through a conversation and but at the same time like i see a lot of merit to just like open sourcing certain projects i think as like from a creative standpoint i like to be a bit more revealing later like surprising people with it because i think that it keeps like a bit of the mystique behind the process like that's why i don't like ever want to vlog in life because i think it's just i personally don't want that level of exposure because i already put out so much of what i make that i enjoy surprising people sometimes but there are other people who i think twitter can be a really great outlet for people whose brains work in a brilliant way i follow some really brilliant smart very like eloquent people on twitter And then I follow some absolutely insane people on Twitter where I'm like, those are really interesting ideas that you have. So it depends on how you like to operate and what I think feeds you creatively the most. For some people, that's putting out ideas and hearing from others every second of every day. For others, it's like the author of The Goldfinch. She like writes like a hermit and she writes like one book every like 15 years or something, but her work is brilliant. And then I try to take like a balance of it. So whatever floats your boat. And that's like the worst answer, but I do think it is important for anybody who's making things to establish for themselves how comfortable they are with that, with sharing their ideas with the world, because there will be pressure to put out every thought that you have. And I think that it's restraint is something that you can definitely learn from.
1: It's picking up on this conversation that I've heard a little bit. I've thought about it a little bit as well. The idea of we've swung so far to the side of independence everyone's throwing out stuff. Like, like, show your life, be vulnerable, like if you put a day out in the world, you might lead to the greatest relationship, whatever. all that stuff. <laughs> and there's no real celebrity anymore. But my yeah. feeling is that because we've swung so far the independence, like let's be open with everyone's side. But I'm like you actually, yearn, like I want that traditional celebrity. I want to be able to build up the who is Dan to me in my head without actually ever going behind the curtain to think you yeah. Dan to me, I'm with you.
2: And that's with me doing a podcast right now. I'm like, yeah,
1: sure, I'll talk about whatever, man. Dating? Why not? Do you like sharing all of your ideas? Definitely not. But there is another side to it. This is going to sound kind of weird. Echolocation, how like orcas and some of those animals, in order to know where they are in their space, they're just like throwing shit out to be like, and then waiting for it to bounce back and be like, oh, okay, I'm in this massive ocean. No one's around me, We're chilling right that's how i work like i can't just sit with my thoughts in my head like i need to get it out and truth that's how i use linkedin is like i'll come up with an idea about the space i'm in the creator space i'll throw out the idea and if people are like yo that's ass i'm like all right cool but if it works then great and on linkedin it goes both ways like people are going to see it regardless if they think it sucks or they think it's cool like what you said defining the expectation i think is big like i'll put out random ideas on the creator space I probably won't put out ideas about dating and anything that's maybe more personal on that side because that's just not me. So I'm with you on like some yes, some no.
2: There are so little barriers to entry for just putting your voice out there that I think one of the biggest challenges anybody can have right now is figuring out where they're comfortable and where they draw the line. Yeah. There's going to be some pressure to constantly make stuff always document your life and people will just eat it up. And there will be somebody there who will give you like really positive feedback but you can't always feed into that because if it doesn't feed you, then mm. it's not worth
1: it. So what's feeding Dan to me right now on May we like the May 2nd, 2023?
2: I'm really excited about I have not eaten anything for 12 hours. I think I'm so a few things. I absolutely love writing scripts. I think it's great. It's what I want to do in the future. I'm getting to work with more really just hilarious comedians that I love working on, like acting more and things. I am very, very excited about this YouTube series that we're working on, which is like the LinkedIn video. We're going to upload our next one on Friday. It's about venture capitalists. And I'm having a blast making these and live performance too. I just There's nothing to replace it. It was something that we missed over the last two years or over the two years of the pandemic. But I got to do a few shows in Los Angeles recently, and we're going to have more planned for the summer. And those are just there's nothing to replace the feeling of just being in a room full of people and everyone just having a ball. So that's really like what I'm excited about right now and working.
1: I've heard that your goal in life is to write for TV. What part of you says, well, what if I'm actually participating in that show as a face, as an actor, compared to just being behind the scenes?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, the ideal career for me, dude, is there's a few people. Quinta Brunson is like God to me, she created Abbott Elementary, and she is like because she started at BuzzFeed. She started by making viral videos at BuzzFeed, like YouTube videos, and she is like a model for anybody who I think is making their own stuff now, achieving longer term success. Because that's it's lovely to make things now, but I want to make sure that I can do that in the future too, and that's really why I'm so focused right now on honing my skill and my ideas for like longer form scripts because that's really, I don't think I can be making, trying to go viral on Instagram when I'm like 35. Like I really hope I'm not doing that. It's fun now, but I don't know if it's sustainable. So, but she was able to evolve from doing that to now where she's like starring in her own mega successful TV show that really tells an important story. So she's like top dog. So if I could ever get like anywhere close to to the work that she's doing, I'm, like, such a fan, so, so yeah, that would be, like, tip iceberg.
1: Talk to me a little bit about Quinta Brunson. Like, what is it beyond her trajectory and how she does things really more than just appeals to? Like, what have you taken away from studying her or just consuming her stuff?
2: Well, I think she takes a really a, a smart approach to comedy in that not only, like, again, like, Abbott Elementary tells a very important story for a group of people who normally wouldn't have a TV show about them, It does something really interesting with comedy where it was able to be really successful without going like too off the rails. And I think that making a show that families can enjoy is a huge challenge, honestly. And but it's what like the broad audience would like to see. And to do that while also like feeling creatively fulfilled is a huge challenge. Like, again, I think some people like go so far into the creativity route where they make things that are kind of ostracizing to other people. And she was able to find this world where she could make something that was personally fulfilling to her and also like the broad audience could accept it and enjoy it too at the same time. And I think that's really what I admire in her as a comedian is that she's, she was able to create a show that, again, families can enjoy with each other, which I think is really cool. She was able to do that coming from the digital space.
1: Well, it's cool seeing the parallels here. You just told me about what you value in her versus, well, not versus, but as it relates to what you're doing. Like you're taking, yes, maybe it's, it's not something that's so emotional to a group of people because of history, but you're taking news that does mean a lot to a large amount of people and finding this comedic line to get people either, give people either a release or give people an entrance that like they wouldn't understand. I don't want to read all these SVB articles, but I know I got a Dan Toomey video. Oh, it's actually kind of interesting. Cool. It's giving me one thing to now like really lean into. So it's cool to see those two barrels.
2: Yeah, and I'm glad that you said entrance rather than source of information because I always tell people that. People are like, oh my gosh, so you're where people get their news from. And I'm like, no, like, please, God, no. Like maybe you become interested in a story through that video and then you want to go and learn about it more, but that should not be your final source of information. I made that video from reading like a ton of articles. So I hope you're encouraged to read like at least one because that's the hope is that people don't replace this for news, because news is so important, and really quality news is really important and really underfunded. So it's like you know, John Oliver has the same issue where people are like, "I get my news from you," and he's like, "Jesus Christ, no, do not do that." So entryway is like exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it.
1: I like it. All right, last question I'm going to ask you is, what is your take on SNL? Is it something that you would want to be a part of?
2: Yeah, that'd be good. You know a guy. Do you know anybody? Who, who get I'm me imagine on that but.
1: pull pull yeah. off the mic and yeah.
2: Lord my I knew he was Canadian. Didn't know he was South African and Jewish. That's crazy. I've seen Invictus for uh, do you guys watch that like every year? Do people from South Africa? Is that like a thing that because <laughs> us Irish Catholics, we have so little to hold on to culturally. We just watch like the departed every year with our family members, we don't say a word and then we leave the house. For I think like Saturday Night Live, like the comedians who are on Saturday Night Live are like some of the top comics in the world. And I think this show, like through whatever growing pains people are saying that it's going through right now, like I'm in no position to like fuck SNL. Like because at the end of the day, if they ever asked me to be on it, I would be like, yes, I will do that. So (laughs) it's still like an institution. It's I'm really curious to see what they do. I mean, like, I'm a huge fan of Please Don't Destroy. I think those guys are just fucking hilarious. So I'm curious to see if they'll lean into them more because their digital stuff does pop off so much that I would love to see them do more of that because it can be, like, crazier than just what, like, a live sketch allows. But who knows? The show's been going on since, like, the 70s. So I'm still a fan.
1: It's been, it's older than Dan Toomey and it survived more than Dan Toomey. So I guess you got to give it a little bit of credit.
2: Yeah, right? Seriously. They need to give it to Trump more. That's what I think. Give it to the big guy Trump more of that. That guy needs... We need to talk about that guy more. That's what I think. Might take on SNL.
1: Trump and the Dems. Get them both. Get them both. What they'll do is they'll clip this and then shoot it over to... I'll actually just watch it myself because I'm Lord Michaels, but... We got you. We have got you. We got it. got, got you. it. You sound a lot different okay. than the impression. <laughs> Steve Jobs has this quote and it goes in the end, none of... It was a waste of time. What does that quote mean when you hear that?
2: Who told you about that? Did anybody tell you about
1: my, that? I was shitting on my Nardwar, I was like, fuck Nardwar, I hate when he post Like, yeah, we bring out a random thing and that's how I end it.
2: Who told you I really like that quote? All right. ever. Yes, do like that quote. Damn, dude. All right, that's weird. I'm in a phone booth right now, and I'm yelling at people who are looking at me. We're going to watch this interview and be like, oh, Dan Toomey's insane. Instead of going yeah. into
1: schizo mode, he's really going into schizoma. mode.
2: Yeah, bro, I was born in schizo mode. I was jump roping with the umbilical cord when I came out. Yes, I do like that quote. I like it a lot. I'm going to text everybody I know now to see who told you that. I don't think I've told. Anyway, yes, I like that quote a lot. I kind of hate that Steve Jobs said it because it's like, it's like everybody quotes him. The reason why I like that quote ugh, is because I really do think it informs a lot of just like where you get ideas from because if you're reading news and it can feel like a waste of time, if you're taking an L on a video and it feels like a waste of time, if you're telling a really bad joke and bombing on stage and it feels like a waste of time, eventually you'll come to a moment where you figure out that it wasn't a waste of time because it either made you better at what you were failing at the time, or a lot of what people make, scripts you write, like poetry you write, a lot of that comes from lived experience. So I have personally found a lot of ideas off of things that, moments in my life that I wasn't even thinking about for like content purposes. And so that's like the, it's a message that I tell people all the time when they're like struggling to find a video that works find something that works where i'm like look if you're failing now in the end none of it's a waste of time because like eventually you'll understand why you were going through all of this so yeah i do like that quote and i'm gonna interrogate everyone i know now over how you figured that out but yes i do i I enjoy that quote
1: awesome way to end the pod it's been a pleasure i love how you're going about things i think that there is well the thing that i'll say is like you talked about quinta i gotta go check out quinta and actually study Quinton now because it's cool to see you talk about her and i can just see you fitting in so well with a similar path
2: yeah people always say you know dan and quinta brunson
1: (laughs) i'll give you a little bit of a release you don't actually text anyone about that quote you said that quote in another podcast interview
2: Oh, okay. Wow. I shouldn't have freaked out that much. Well, hang up on the cops now. Sorry.
1: <laughs> been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. And excited to see me. where it goes.
2: Appreciate it, man. Thank you.